that. No. Uh, okay. Thank you for the update, Campster. I'm ill. My re my reflexes are weaker. Is your cat trying to turn off your computer again? No. Just just let's move on. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Spodcast. I'm Josh, and I am a sick person. Still, uh, actually, because I was sick last week. Um, and uh, joining me is another sick person in the body of Campster. Hello. I'm ill. And also a not sick person by the name of Alex. I'm okay. Yeah, so it's, uh, I guess this is like the holiday colds going around at this point. I've just been, like, feeling awful for the past two weeks. It's the season for him. Yeah. The worst part is, I got the flu vaccine this year. <laughs> and I'm still getting these well, horrible colds, so... The flu doesn't protect you from colds, You got it though, too right? early in the season. Yeah. You have last year's strain. I only got it, like, three or four weeks ago. Yeah, that's too early. Anyway, let's move on to a topic of discussion that is probably more interesting than um, horrible pain. Uh, Alex, you went on an excursion to Orlando. Yeah. Everyone really likes it when I go there, because they say it's my city. That's the joke. I can't imagine why that is. Yeah. And the funny thing this time is that I was actually in a row on the airplane with all Orlandos that weren't related to me, including someone <laughs> named Alexandra Orlando. And I got her boarding pass, and everyone was very confused, and they asked me if I was with four other people, and I said no. And I didn't understand why until I checked out the entire row. And That's we did the weird. classic... It was very weird. And then the, the stewardess came to the back of the plane and was like, oh, who is Alexandra Orlando? And then we did the like classic, like, oh, that is me, like at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so that was interesting and very unlikely to ever happen again. I don't know. There can't be... I mean, there... I guess Alexandra Orlando isn't a very common name combination, but it doesn't seem like so out of the ordinary that you never meet someone named that. But beyond the saying next to them on the plane? Yeah, that's true. Um, anyway, so, so that's so, not really the... Ex you want to develop, I, develop this idea more? Well, I just googled Alexandra Orlando and the first hit is a Canadian gymnast, which is probably neither you nor the other Canadian Alexandra Orlando. That's so. correct. Yes, she's from Toronto, so she lives super close to me. It's apparently a very popular name in Canada. Yeah, there are at least three of them. It's funny because like, she's Italian background too, and when she was in the Olympics representing Canada, my great-grandmother had called my grandmother and was very confused, Aww. asking if I was in the Olympics. And she's like, <laughs> no. Uh, is so, Alexandra like the Italian version of no, the name? No, that would be Al like... Alessandra with the S's. Ah. But I don't have like a formal Italian first name. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Ever run into any Chris Franklins? Yeah, I've complained about this on the show before. The guy with my name that is the first Google result is a Canadian 
or uh, not Canadian, is an Australian uh, a parody songwriter who's known for one freaking song, and it's a parody of the Meredith Brooks song "Bitch," and he turned it into a, the Australian version "Bloke," and I hate him forever, and it makes me angry. <laughs> I see that. So, <laughs> and he's got a mullet and everything. Yes. <laughs> I can't decide so, what's yeah. worse, being someone super prolific so you get buried or you get, like, messed up with some guy who's barely known and he's still in your spot. Like, the next hit after that is a meteorologist from New Orleans, and I'm like, okay, I can take that. Like, a local TV news weatherman, that's not so bad. But the, the guy who's a one-hit wonder known for a parody of, of a 90s one-hit wonder, like, how do you be, how are you a one-hit wonder parody of a one-hit wonder? I don't know, it, it bothers me. Sorry, I have strong opinions on this. Josh shouldn't have asked about it. It bothers me too, actually. Well, fortunately, uh, when you Google Josh Veal, I am basically the entirety of the results. There are apparently other Josh Veals in the world, but I guess I'm the most famous one. Spoiler warning, least according spoiler warning, to Patreon, uh, a LinkedIn profile, and then uh, The Escapist. That LinkedIn profile is not me. No, that is not you. Oh my god. No, that that's the that's a real not you, Josh Veal. <laughs> Sales I, executive I, customer engagement solutions. Uh, the the best is LinkedIn tells you when you click on someone's profiles, so now he's gonna have a visit from my account for some reason and he's gonna <laughs> kinda wonder why that is. Anyway. So how was Orlando? Um, it was good. Uh, the weather was very nice. We went the weekend before American Thanksgiving, so it was, like, pretty quiet. Um, and I did both the Universal Parks. Um, I haven't been since they've done the Harry Potter stuff, so it was really exciting to see all that and what they've uh, added to the parks and changed. Um, yeah, it was good. I mean, it was a lot. I've, I've done Universal before, but only... Like once many years ago, and I was actually on the show Slime Time Live, which is the show that oh, wow. they have there, and I won, yeah. and I wasn't allowed to, well, we weren't allowed to put my mailing address for the prize because we're in Canada, they wouldn't ship the prize to Canada, so we had originally <laughs> put um, our relatives from New York, their address, and then they never ended up getting the prize, and they were rollerblades, and I was sad. Aw. So that was a long time ago. Contact number? They don't have Slime Time Live anymore. No, that's all Blue Man Group and creepy abandoned buildings now. Yes, I've noticed. Um, And they've added, they added, well, one of the best rides, in my opinion, that they added is that rock and roll roller coaster. Oh, yeah. You pick your um, own song? Rip Ride Rocket, I think. Yeah, that was really good. Everything else is basically, at this point, a 3D motion ride, and by the end of it, I was getting a little sick of it. I was, I was getting sick of the same sort of, like, 3D thing over and over again. Um, uh, mind you, I did two parks in one day, so maybe that's why, but I was, I was... The Harry Potter stuff was cool, and the new 3D rides were cool, the King Kong one. But after a while, I, I don't know, it made my eyes hurt, and it... it I, I just kind of wanted to get on a roller coaster. Yeah, that's always kind of been the criticism of Universals. It's really motion simulator heavy. Um, and that that is kind of undeniable at this point, especially since they're tearing down roller coasters to build more Harry Potter crap. 
Yes, I had thought that they were going to rebrand Dueling Dragons as a Harry Potter roller coaster. And what they did, they did is they just have a pit there where it used to be, and they have a kitty roller coaster somewhere else. Well, for about 10 years, it was there. Like, they had Dueling Dragons rethemed as the Triwizard Tournament Dragon Challenge or whatever. Oh, really? Um, and you could see the, yeah, and you could see the little, uh, the Ron's dad's car or whatever that they steal in that movie, and it sits there and goes beep, 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 and honks at you as you walk by, and um, there you go into a big tent, and you can see the Triwizard Cup or whatever, and a bunch of dragon eggs, and then you eventually get on the roller coaster, and it's just the same old roller coaster it was before, but, like, they they tried to kind of theme it up, but it never really, like felt Harry Pottery because it's it's not it was never meant to be Harry Potter. So they are tearing it down and are building a new Harry Potter attraction. Interesting. See I never got to see any of that. That's a little disappointing because I thought that was a pretty cool roller coaster. It it wasn't bad. It I, I like it better than uh Rip Ride Rocket, because Rip Ride Rocket's big attraction is both the music and the the like vertical climb. Uh as a roller coaster it's not that great, but that ascent is terrifying because it's not just vertical the seats are reclined a little bit so you're actually a little bit more than 90 degrees it freaked me out oh i didn't know that yeah that was really a cool feeling and it wasn't long to get on so i was happy with that but yeah i had a lot of thoughts and feels about the harry potter stuff because it seems to be one of the only like fully realized immersive areas in universal where they've actually gone and took a lot of care into the detail of the structures and um, the employees that work there and their kind of personality. And they really have a theme going that was really cool to see. It almost felt like I was in a different park. Oh, yeah, totally. That That's, the, I think, the first place that Universal sort of started upping their game theme-wise. Um, Universal proper still struggles with that, but Islands of Adventure, I think, is slowly coming around to some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, Harry Potter blows everything else there kind of out of the water theming. Did you get a wand? I didn't. I went into Ollivander's and watched a little girl try and get her wand. And that was really cute. Um, but the wands were $40 American and I was like, oh, that's a lot. But I did get one of the sweaters. Well, it comes with a little RFID thing so that you could use use it in all the magic. Oh, in the parks. okay, yeah. I was watching children. I was doing like a, a secondhand experience of that. I watched the children <laughs> living vicariously. Yes. But yeah, I got one of the sweaters. I'm I'm very Ravenclaw, so I was happy to get some swag. And the sweater itself is just nice. So I didn't want the robe because I'm like, where where else am I going to wear this robe? And it was $113. I was very curious about the pricing oh of God. everything. But I and I and it was actually cheaper than what I thought it was going to be. But, yeah, I was like, I'm not going to wear this robe for anything. But the sweater, can you can wear it anywhere. Well, probably yeah. not in Florida. No. But, you know, it's cold here, so. You didn't do the Jimmy Fallon ride, did you? I didn't. I saw it, and it was kind of at the end of the day, and I was just like, you know what? I couldn't give a shit about Jimmy Fallon. That's probably Jimmy the right Fallon call. ride. Yeah, yeah Jimmy like, Fallon. What tonight. is that like? Um, it's basically a 3D motion simulator. <laughs> Surprise. 
um, where you ride through New York and run bumbling into a lot of different skits from uh, his show, like the the ragtime singy people and the panda bear and other skits that I presume make sense if you watch the Tonight Show with with him. Um, and then it gets weird real fast where eventually you end up going to the moon and racing on the moon and then you come back to New York and that's the end of the ride. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen the show, so I wouldn't have understood any of that. You're not missing that much. It it is a weird attempt to reach out to more family friendly fare. Um, from Universal. It is it is a bizarre property, I guess I'll put it that way. I know it's synergistic because Universal also owns, you know, Comcast owns uh, NBC Universal, so they're, like, tied, but it's still weird. That, it I sounds found... like someone saw Star Trek The Experience and thought, let's do that, but with Jimmy Fallon's show. <laughs> I found a lot of the rides there were pretty scary. Like... When I did the King Kong ride, I was a, that was my first time, and I got scared by the guy that jumped out and scared me in the line. He popped out and he tried oh, to love- touch me, and I got so scared. And then it was just like, so that was pretty, and, and like the the it's kind of violent because they show King Kong like ripping the T Rex jaw, pulling the jaw, and then just shooting shit and blood everywhere. And I was like, oh okay. Like, if I was a kid, I'd be pretty scared. Scare actors in the lines is a controversial topic, apparently, among theme park fans. So that's a <laughs> oh, uh, really? that's an ongoing debate. Well, some people are just like, look, I just want to be in the line. I just want to wait and check my phone and not worry about being scared. And other people are like, oh my god, it's awesome. It's like a mini haunted house while you're waiting in line. So you have something to do. And it's just a very controversial topic. I can see why people would be annoyed by that. Yeah, but it's still cool. I liked it. I felt like I was at... I thought of you, actually, Chris, because I'm like, oh, I'm at a Halloween haunt at Universal. Yeah. (laughs) Is Universal the one that keeps wanting to try to spray you with various liquids? Every ride had a water spray. I mean, not every ride, but there's a fair number of them. More than in Disney World. Yes. Like, percentage-wise, yeah. I Like, I can't think of any in Disney World aside from, like, the water rides that, that actually do that. You know, like, the log ride or whatever. I'm trying to think if there's one in Disney World. Because I can think of them... They use, like, scents and stuff. I mean, when you go over um, in Soren, they spray that orange-scented stuff. Um, I can't think of any. Oh, I, I do. I have one. I have one. Um, Muppet, the Muppet 3D Vision. Muppet Vision 3D. Uh, with the stupid CGI 3D monster animated cartoon clown thing. Uh, tries to do a traditional cartoon joke with the uh, flower petal and sprays water on the audience, and it all rains down on the people. Um, that That, there's one. But that's like one out of the entire four theme parks worth of rides at Uni- or at Disney. So, yeah, Universal does it a lot. For me, it was just a matter of like, by the end of it, I just felt like I was getting REM, like, I like from all the 3D and not knowing necessarily where to look. 
that was like a big thing on the King Kong ride because it's like double sided 3D. So I'm like, my head's going around all over the place. Plus I'm on a roller coaster. Plus I got all this 3D. And by the end of it, I was like, I'm actually not feeling well. And I'm like good with theme parks all the time. Like I go on as scary stuff as I can find. But it's an endurance run, that's for sure, if you're doing a lot of 3D rides at once. I, I don't like the trend that Universal's been doing of bringing those, um, what would you call them, the tram rides over to the to the Florida parks? Because that's what that is, right? Like, And that, that's why the King Kong ride kind of bothers me a little bit. Because it's a really, really expensive wrapper for what was just part of the tram ride in... Um, uh, California, and not only not only part of the tram tram ride, a fairly quickie replacement part of the tram ride. So I know entirely too much about theme parks, but um, at some point um in the, the early to mid two thousands or late two thousands, um uh the King Kong ride, the King Kong portion of the tram in Hollywood burned down, and everyone was like, "Oh no, King Kong burned down! It's sad." So what they did is at the time Peter Jackson had recently finished up uh his King Kong. So he and his team made a kind of a 3d adventure thing for the tram to just sort of sit in and you could like see King Kong fight some T-Rexes. And, and that's why the whole CGI part is very much in the style of the Peter Jackson movie. Um, and all they did was basically port that part of the ride over to, uh, islands of adventure and then wrap that whole tram ride with like the animatronic King Kong and the intro sequence. Like that stuff wasn't there in the original, but the rest of it was. And I don't know, it just there's something about it that feels slightly cheap. Like it's it's the original ride plus some DLC that you're getting for like, you know, forty dollars two years after release. I don't know, that's a terrible comparison. I'm tired and sick. That's interesting. And now it kind of makes sense actually now that I think about how the ride was laid out. Yeah, because you kind of get that one. The first area is like, let's tell the people on the left to have something to look at. And then the second area is let's give everybody on the right something to look at. And then you get the main arena where it's just you don't even know where to look because it's all encompassing and around you. And then there's King Kong's animatronic, but only people on the right get to see that. Which is kind of a bummer because it's a cool animatronic. Oh, it was very good. Um, especially when you have your 3D glasses on, you're like, is this 3D or is this real life? And then you take the glasses off and you're like, it's real. That ride reminded me of the tunnel ride in Willy Wonka. That's what that reminded me of. I could see that. How did I think about it? Does Universal Studios own Willy Wonka? I believe that's WB. Oh. Well, that's like CBS and... Uh... Didn't, didn't they merge with CBS at some point? Uh, distributed by Paramount. I was wrong. Yeah, so so Paramount is the movies and CBS is the the TV side, probably. Yeah. If only Paramount Canada's Wonderland stayed split. Paramount Canada's Wonderland. Then we might have got a Willy Wonka ride. Now it's just Wonderland. So did Paramount pull out of all of its, like, dealings with, like... I don't know who else they were in, in bed with. I think it was like the Kings people, like Kings Island and Kings Dominion. Because I know for a while there was like Nickelodeon Studios at Paramount and other Viacom properties. Yeah, Wonderland had what, the Nickelodeon section and just the regular Paramount section. And they just pulled out of everything. At least from Wonderland. I don't know about the other ones. Wah -wah. 
But everyone still calls it by the movie names because it was around for so long. But it was I mean, most of the rides were really shitty. Like the, there was basically no theming. I, I know Six Flags had a deal with WB for a while because they had, and I think they still do, because they had like yeah. Tweety Bird and and they had the Batman ride. Yeah, that's right, and Superman. Yep, but they're just roller coasters, and it always bothered me because they have no other than the coloring <laughs> of the track. It's not really a themed ride, and that always just irked the crap out of me. Well, the Superman roller coaster was the fastest one they had for a while, anyway. But you just go straight and then up. Like, that's it. That's the parabolic arc of Superman. We are on the turn it upside down, it's the parabolic arc of the Zack Snyder movies. Has anyone seen Justice League? Yes. Uh oh. I have avoided it. But Coco's out. I saw Justice League before Coco was out. Also, this Superman ride is not the one I remember. There's different oh. ones, I think. There's one in Darien Lake. I, I just remember the one that was like... Where, where you went straight and then went up and then it just sort of it hanged there and then let you back down. Yeah, Am that's I? what I remember. That's Top Thrill Dragster. How do you know all these roller coasters? That's crazy. Because I'm also like a theme park person. That is awesome. I mean, I I don't know coasters at all. Like, I remember... Okay, Superman Escape from Krypton is apparently what it was called. And I don't know if it's still up. There seems to be like five different kinds of Superman roller coasters. WB is licensing this out like crazy. Anyway, yeah, Justice League's this... not very good. Does what? Sorry. I'm I'm trying to think. Like, Justice League isn't Warner Brothers though. Like the the movies yeah, well, aren't. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Hmm. Warner Brothers bought DC like in the '80s. Warner Brothers was responsible oh, for like the okay. Keaton Batman movies. Um, Thank you, Warner Brothers. I don't Brothers. know why I'm thinking that they were someone else. Apparently, there's a Justice League ride at Six Flags, too. It's a laser car ride. What is a laser car ride? Where you shoot the lasers. Oh. At the target. Yeah, it's like the Men in Black or the Spuzz Lightyear. Right. Speaking of which, it's really weird to go on Men in Black because it features fun Will Smith instead of Scientology Will Smith, and then you're like, oh man, like... <laughs> They're still holding on to this one. Yeah, that's weird. It made me slightly uncomfortable. I mean, really what makes me uncomfortable is going back to the kid zone that's about to become Nintendo Land, because holy crap, you want to talk about some things that need to be torn down and are a product of their own time. Holy crap. Oh, the section, the Dr. Seuss section? With the Fievel Goes West Playland, where I'm a 33-year-old adult and Fievel was a thing when oh, I was a kid. Man. Yeah. Did you know they still have back? To, they still have Doc Brown and the DeLorean just off to yeah, the side the in the Simpsons area. <laughs> yeah, like the first Fievel like, movie was the '80s. Like, all that stuff is like like late '80s stuff. 
Look, the, the theme park was built in the late 80s, early 90s. It's, it's a weird relic of its time. Do they have Space Jam? I wish. No. They still have Blues Brothers there. I'm like, also, like, why? Well, like, California who does that has appeal its own... to? California has its own weird stuff. They still have Waterworld stunt show, I think, and the uh, um, Backdraft. Those are some 90s movies. I actually have... I've never gone to California and Universal Studios, but I hear that Waterworld show is amazing. It's it's a pretty cool show. It's just weird that, like, in 2017, the lasting cultural impact of Waterworld is that there's a water action show at Universal California. What was at the time one of the most expensive movies ever made, and that's its contribution to pop culture. Oh, I'm actually curious. Um, since I haven't been there since HHN, do they have um, the... Uh, what's it called? Um, what's the name of that TV show that hasn't been on the air for 10 years? That they you, the, the Bill and Ted Theater. Is the Bill and Ted Theater still being used by that crappy reality show? Um, Fear Factor Live? Yes, that one. Yeah, that was still there. I was like, Aww. why? Well, that, that theater is going away because they're expanding... More Harry Potter. They're always... Harry Potter will just slowly consume everything in these parks. <laughs> it's... But that's what... Yeah. That's kind that, of that's strange. What, it was the last Bill and Ted ever this year because they're going to get rid of that stadium. Which is kind of sad. But also Bill and Ted. Another late 80s, early 90s property that probably has seen better days. I want to see a Bill and Ted crossover with John Wick. Ooh. Uh... I mean, they have a time machine. Really, you know, I, I can't write... remember the name of the actor who played Bill. Uh, Winters. Can't remember his name. First name. Like, is he even still doing anything? Is he even still alive? Um, Alex Winter. Yeah, he's still alive. He doesn't do a ton of stuff. He was in the deep web. He hasn't done anything in about four or five years, but he's still alive. <laughs> the last thing listed for TV on his filmography on Wikipedia is an episode of Robot Chicken where he played Bill in 2012. Oh. He's in Smosh the movie from 2015. Oh man, Smosh hasn't been a thing in forever. Oh, he directed it. Oh god, please don't say that. And Jenna Marbles <laughs> is in it. The internet is a weird place. Oh man. Um, anything else you want to mention about Universal Studios or... I think I'm good. You know, Orlando in general. I always like Orlando because it's like a crazy place. And it's kind of my one of my first exposure that I can remember of being in America was being in Orlando. So that's like maybe a bad representation, but I always hold it near and dear <laughs> to my heart. And there's a lot of gun places and this guy that had a gun shirt 
and um, the beer was really cheap, which I liked. Yeah, that sounds like Florida. Oh, let's see, what else? Um, we can talk about news real fast. By real fast, I mean we'll probably end up spending 30 minutes on it, but um, we haven't talked about news a lot on this podcast lately, but uh, this seems to kind of warrant it. Um, plus, we have a man on the inside who's actually played it. Of course, I'm talking about mm. Battlefront 2. Yay! Chris is our Battlefront 2 mole. I like how just the the act of buying and pur- purchasing and playing this game is some sort of act of subterfuge at this point. I mean, you've been playing it. How many other people are actually playing it? Uh, the servers are full, and matchmaking doesn't take that long. I mean, it's it's a when it comes to hurting EA, I imagine it's going to be a matter of degrees. I don't think it's going to be a colossal Battleborn style. No one ever bought it. Bomb. I think it's going to be more instead of selling well, uh, you know ten yeah, fifteen it, million copies. It's going to be like a three to five. It's certainly not a lawbreakers. God, those those are some tragic stories. Battleborn, Lawbreakers, yeah. like just just absolutely tragic. Like, like did, I don't even want to make Lawbreakers fun of it. literally only sell a few thousand copies. I believe so. Again, I'm the man on the like, inside. I, there, I bought a copy. I'm I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like that game is is like is. We should really do, like, a stream of you trying to play Lawbreakers and getting matched against people, like... And then, like, play some game from, like, the early 2000s. Like, like go play Quake 3 Arena and see if you can get matched with people. <laughs> Compare the two. Yeah, so, um, to give some background, uh, in case you haven't heard, uh... And man, did this blow up. About a week before Battlefront 2 launched, um, some people did some number crunching with the amount of credits that it took to unlock a hero, which I believe was like 60,000, and the amount of credits that you got per match, um, which turned out to be like like 250, 500 credits or something like that, and and basically calculated that it would take about like 40 actual hours to unlock one hero, like, to be able to play as Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader. And it's like, just to have the option of playing it in multiplayer, not like, like, you just get to play as them now. You know, it's just to be able to use it when you have the option to maybe, provided that nobody else has taken up the, uh, the limited, like, special hero slots, as I understand it. Um... And there was a great big outrage over this. Uh, and then, uh, I think CNN did a, a, a story about the um, Belgian government looking at uh, loot boxes and whether or not they count as gambling. <laughs> and shortly after that story, and like mere hours before launch... Um, they well first they announced that they were going to cut down the um the unlock prices by like 75%. So I think like the 60,000 credits it took to unlock a hero turned into 15,000. 
Uh, and then not long after that, uh, as as these uh, this negative press continued to pile on, they announced like three hours before the game came out that all the microtransactions were being shut down. <laughs> Uh, at least temporarily, they were taking out all the the you know stuff that you can pay for DLC wise, uh, you know microtransactions wise. So like you can't buy credits anymore. You you can't do any kind of stuff that involves actually paying money to get to unlock things in the game. Uh, and like. <laughs> Like I, you kind of wonder just like what was happening at EA that week, where you know you you go to like, oh shit, we've tripped the regulatory uh, landmine here, and now like, oh by the way, the the Belgian government is saying like, hey, this is gambling. What are you guys doing? Like you have to imagine that the Disney got involved and called them up and went like, hey, what are you doing with Star Wars? And then Hawaii also launched its own investigation into yeah. EA's business practices. So it's it's yeah. been a, it's been a week for uh, EA. And and then at some point, um, the Belgian Minister of Finance, Secretary of State, something like that, um, said that he thinks that um, loot boxes are gambling and should be banned in the EU. Like. It's been a bad year for EA, actually. I mean, like, think yeah. about what happened with Mass Effect Andromeda, and then this, and like... No, I mean, EA's year this year was Battlefront 2, like, if you ignore, um... If you ignore sports games, right? Yeah. Their year was, um, Battlefront 2, Mass Effect Andromeda, Need for Speed Payback, which also was getting slammed for its loot box system that is terrible and I've also played that and it's also awful. Um and that's that's it. And then some battlefield expansions. That that was their year. And uh, sports games aside. Like and I guess The Sims 4 on the on the PS4. But in terms of like their major console launches that are not sports games, um they've had like 3 and none of them have been well received. My I'm, question with I mean, all I'm... this is Always like, why are people getting up in arms now with loot box systems when we've had them for years? Is it the outcry of the fans that sparked the conversation? Or have we just seen like an evolution into loot box systems being more predatory or more like costly for people? I don't know. And there's i think it's a it's a thing where you have to pick and choose about what you're going to criticize cuz you know overwatch has been getting a lot of flack for over like uh, loot boxes but like that's hardly the worst of it in my opinion i i think it's a combination of things i think part of it is that they uh shadow of mordor kind of primed the pump for this by being another single player game that the entire end game was driven by you know, you could grind your orcs up to level 50 in order to take over all the castles or whatever to get the true end of Shadow of Mordor, um, or, or Shadow of War, rather. Um, or you could spend some money on loot boxes and maybe take a shortcut, and then the end game isn't another 20 hours, it's another 5 hours. Um, and I think that outrage sort of primed the pump for people to be angry. And then on top of that, um, this particular situation just had every red flag you could throw at it in terms of, like, 
lazy internet outrage, I guess. Because, like, A, it happened again, because, again, we just got mad at Shadow of War, and people are already primed to be angry about it. Uh, B, it's an EA game, and people irrationally hate EA. And I'm, I don't defend EA, but I do think people have an like an irrational hatred of that company. Um, and I say this oh, to yeah. somebody who, who, like, does not like a lot of their business practices, but... Like, people get, re- again, voted most evil company in the world, like, two years in a row against things like Monsanto and stuff. Like, it's just, it's just ridiculous. You know, Dow Chemical is literally responsible for murders and, and deaths, and they're like, no, but EA charged me for some DLC. It's, it's whatever. Um, point being, EA, EA doesn't make it better. Star Wars, as a license, makes this bad. Because now, it's not just that, like, oh, to get the top tier guy, you gotta, you gotta grind or you gotta pay for it. It's, you're not giving me Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. I want my Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. That's why I play Star Wars games. Why are you denying me my Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker? And so, like, I think the combination of all of that is what resulted in this being this, like, nexus of anger and hatred towards this one specific game. Um, also, ba- taking you back, Battlefront 1 um, was criticized pretty heavily for being an affront to consumers or whatever angry consumer thing there is because... uh Battlefront 1 was argued to be a not-complete game. There was no single player in the original Battlefront, and it shipped with something like 10 maps, which Battlefield-style were all broken down into smaller versions of themselves, so that it was really closer to, like, um, I don't know the exact number, but it was probably closer to, like, you know, 16 or 25 maps, because you could break, you know, there's the, the big desert level, the medium desert yeah. level, and the small desert level. Um, but, but people just said it shipped with, like, six maps, and they all, they all got angry at it and said it wasn't a complete game. Um, and then EA was also launching their, you know, uh, what was it? The season packs at the same time. So everyone argued it was really a $90 game that you had, you were being asked to pay $60 for a demo. Um, so again, the franchise is something that has a lot of baggage associated with it. So I think for all of those reasons, when this came out that you're going to have to grind for 80 hours or pay some money to get to Darth Vader faster, um, that's really what would set people off. I think additionally, we've been kind of seeing this fermenting outrage over loot boxes, like that's been going from one game to the next. Um, you know, like like Overwatch had a, a lot of criticism about its loot box system to the point where they actually changed it um, and made it uh, less likely to give you duplicates and increase the price or increase the the value of getting duplicates in terms of uh, coins. Um, to make it a little bit less yeah it's all cosmetics like it's insane well i i think they're you know with the way that they do the seasonal skins um where you have like kind of a limited like three-week time window to get these like seasonal skins and they're all usually the most expensive kind and seasonal skins are three times as expensive as um normal version skins of the same rarity um, that like I can see why people would get really upset buying like 50 loot boxes and only getting like two or three of the the big seasonal skins and a whole bunch of duplicates like that would piss me off I don't know I've just never felt the need to buy loot boxes like because it's just cosmetics and like to me if you're gonna like I'm glad they changed it and whatever but like I've never felt the need to be angry or, like, pick on that game in particular. Even, like, TF2, I would argue, had, like, a worse system than Overwatch. Because oh, there TF2 you have actual weapons. System. 
TF2 system is openly manipulative and bad. Like o- Overwatch, yeah. I think you can you can argue like you can take a philosophical stance of like like Josh was saying, if if you really want to be able to just buy the thing you want and you don't like that there's this little loot game attached to it, um, I think it's fair to be a little judgmental of that. Like, look, all I want is my Scrooge McCree skin. And I spent a hundred bucks, and all I got was every other skin but that one. And the event ended. And now I don't have enough money to go back and buy it or whatever. There's there's room to be critical of it, but it, it's got all the same criticisms of like, you know, a collectible card game or or any other thing. Blind box vinyl figures, um, loot uh, monthly loot boxes where you don't know what you're going to get. Um, it's got all the sort of problems associated with that um in terms of paying for something that you don't know whether you're whether it's going to be worth it for you um but that's a different thing entirely than intentionally designing systems from the ground up specifically to exploit players in terms of making trade-offs between whether it's worth their time or worth their money to make progress towards a specific thing which is definitely what EA was doing here and yeah. what shocks me is that it sounds like for a company as big as EA they did. They clearly did like no market testing of this mechanic whatsoever. They did not get a consultation from free-to-play experts. They did not get any sort of like market research in terms of how people would respond. They were just openly saying like, "Hey, come play our beta beta test for us. Give us free uh, beta testing." And when players were playing the the sort of you know the three days of early access, they started freaking out about the amount of time it would take to get to that content and rightly being kind of upset that it really does seem designed to basically try to get you to give you them to give them money. And then EA's PR bumbled every step of the way after that. Yeah, you you really do have to wonder what they were thinking in terms of how they thought this would all go down. Um but like I I agree with you that like the Overwatch stuff is kind of fundamentally different. Um but like there was a controversy there and then you had like the CS:GO stuff which was actually way worse cuz that's actually worth like you can assign a monetary value to CS:GO skins because you can sell them on the Steam market um <laughs> in a sense that actually is gambling by the traditional definition um no Val- Valve stuff uh, is in general way worse than than what Blizzard is doing by like yeah. orders of magnitude um, and then you had the, the Shadow of War stuff, uh, and now you had this, and like you, you figure like there was only so many times that a big outrage like this could happen before regulators got involved. And like, I don't think it just so happened to be this one by chance, but it had that history there. Whereas like if this was the first big controversy over loot boxes, I don't know if if you know the Belgian government would start looking into this. Um, or the state of Hawaii, but because there was that history, and because it's Star Wars, and is so visible, and is Disney, and, you know, Disney is very conscious about their image, um, you know, this is kind of the perfect storm that got regulators involved and caused all this to happen, I think, because, like, I think that's the real, like, the real tipping point of this controversy that made EA go, oh shit, was, was you know, news stories about how the Belgian government is investigating Star Wars for gambling. I mean, that happened after the game came out, right? I mean, that was after they no, had no, already that, removed that, all the... No, that predicated the, uh, the removal of the microtransactions, I'm pretty sure. I think it was like that news story, and then then all the microtransactions suddenly went away. I don't know. It's it's 
it's a crappy situation in general because to sort of step back and look at a, a, a bigger picture thing here is like, I think there's no denying how manipulative loot boxes can be, especially bad ones. I mean, we can debate something like, you know, Overwatch, but certainly things like TF2, where yeah, things there there's a clear way that that can be abused. It's clearly dangerous. There's items in there that even if they're cosmetic only, can only be... Like, TF2 unusuals can only be gotten either by spending real-world money on the store, which makes them have a real-world value, or by spending literally about $250, because there's a 1% chance... Uh, that you'll get an unusual hat, and it's uh, two fifty a key. So at two fifty a key with a one percent chance, you have to spend about two hundred fifty bucks to get an unusual hat. Um, that's that's ridiculous. That's the only way you can get that. And that two hundred fifty is an average, not a an actual cost. You might be able to get it at fifty bucks. You might get it at five hundred bucks. You don't know. Um, yeah, that's that's TF two is bad. I, I can go on a rant about how bad TF two is, but I, I guess my point is. I don't know. It's it's a crappy situation because last year or two years ago, they were being criticized for releasing what was essentially a $90 game and a $60 demo. Now they're being criticized for trying to release a game that has, um, you know, all these continuous monetization strategies that are just outrageously badly designed and manipulative. At what point do we step back and recognize that maybe games are now too expensive to be profitable through traditional business models? Because that's, that's the thing that I think isn't being discussed enough. Because that's to me, what is being the the real story here, right? Like the real story isn't EA, the big evil company, tried to do a big evil thing. It's to make this game cost so much money. They need alternative revenue streams, and every time they try one, they get told that they're being evil, conniving, manipulative, and bad. And that's probably true yeah. because they're not being honest with their audience about how much this stuff costs. But if the reality is to be profitable, to be safely profitable, this thing needs to cost a hundred bucks. What does that say about where where AAA development is? I mean, you look at other games that don't do this stuff, and a lot of them are struggling. You look at a lot of Bethesda's games this year, which have done between okay to not so great, um, and none of those games have like in you know the the loot boxes or or season passes or whatever. You know, Dishonored Two has one pack of DLC that's standalone, to- like totally you get what you pay for. Um, you know, uh, what a Prey. Prey is a standalone game with no loot box system. Um, Wolfenstein. Yeah, or just look at every Square Enix Western release in the past two years. Um, right, like but... we, we make fun of, of Square Enix setting ridiculous um, sales expectations, but the reality is we don't really know the finances involved. I mean, uh, uh, what was it? What studio recently closed down? Uh, Visceral. Um, yeah. they closed down, um, and they were the Dead Space team, and they made Dead Space 3 three or four years ago at this point. And Dead Space 3 was famous for having that EA executive leak the fact that Dead Space 3, made on last generation's hardware, needed to sell 5 million copies to, to be considered uh, uh, solvent, just, just making ends meet. So that should give you some indication of where things are now three or four years later and an entire step and a half, given the PS Plus and Xbox One X, um, you know, a step and a half above that console-wise, the demand for super high-resolution content, it, the, the the number of sales has got to be that much more, and, and it's just super intimidating. I, I don't know, that, that's not to excuse bad business practices, it's really more to step back and wonder, like, how can this industry that refuses to have an honest conversation, publishers, because they're afraid of angry backlash... 
and gamers because they don't really want to have the real truth. They don't want to recognize that this thing they love really should cost a hundred bucks, and they've been getting it at a deep discount, uh, sort of subsidized by, you know, the, by by whales and things like that. How can we have a conversation like that? And I, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, I mean, I would add developers in there because they get death threats on Twitter all the time whenever they speak out about <laughs> difficulties with developing games. Or or not, given that we don't know what happened with that. Game. I mean, that's not that. the only time. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the Battlefront 2 developer that maybe wasn't actually a Battlefront 2 developer. Oh, I remember that. that. May or may not have gotten death threats. I don't know if that was the part that was in question, but... Well, it was a question whether he even worked for EA, because he sold himself yeah. as having worked for EA, but there was no evidence of it, and a lot of contradictory <clears> info <throat> that never made any sense. I, I kind of see it as this, like, like self-fulfilling prophecy of, like... Um, well, that's not even right. It's a sort of, like, positive feedback loop that keeps bumping up game budgets, um, where, you know... E you want to be, you want to sell the most copies of your game, so you push the envelope. And pushing the envelope usually means getting a bigger, better engine that looks nicer, and 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 doing more cinematic air quotes stuff, um, and making it look more like a movie, and hiring big name actors, and getting a bigger marketing budget, um, and doing that forces other AAA games to do the same in order to stay competitive. But all this time, you're massively increasing the actual required budget to do that successfully, which means that you need to sell more to do it successfully. And there's, at some point, some kind of limit to how much this will actually increase sales. But if you don't do it, then you get slammed for looking like a last gen game or or you know and having a marketing budget that wasn't as high so nobody heard about it or or you know all that kind of stuff that happens to you know uh, you know what happened to Titanfall too uh I I think we're reaching a point where that I think you're what you're saying is true but I think it's increasingly less true with each passing year like I watch those digi digital foundry comparison videos and I can see the difference about what they're talking about maybe a third of the time. And only if I'm specifically looking at the zoomed-in pixels where they're like, on the PS4, the anti-aliasing is slightly better than the Xbox One. And I, I can I can kind of see it when they do the zoom-in. And I'm like, eh, I guess it's more pixely on the Xbox One, whatever. I, I can't really just naked eye from a regular viewing distance see that dis difference. And I think the push for ever higher graphical fidelity matters less and less, especially in the face of how much more money you can potentially make if uh, you do it with a much reduced team and budget. Um, I'm thinking of like um, uh, uh, Hellbound or Hellblade, Senwa's Sacrifice uh, recently achieved profitability, and I think they just only hit like 500,000 units sold. But but they are now every yeah. every sale they make now is is in the black. They, they have made their money back on that investment. And that's really, really cool. Um, it's also a fantastic game. But it's it's really cool, and they did that with a team of, I don't know, something like 30, 40, 50 people, compared to the hundreds of people it takes to make a, a Skyrim or a Grand Theft Auto or a, a you know, or a Battlefront. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to, like, imply that I mean that, like, um, <clears throat> like, increasing the, the actual 
graphics in the traditional sense of what graphics means of the game necessarily means like the costs increase like i'm not even sure that's necessarily true aside from the cost of like building a new engine for every game or whatever which isn't even a cost that ea is eating right now because they built frostbite specifically to do this and they've been using it for all their games uh but like like the the other stuff that goes into making a game look cinematic like let's mocap everything let's um hire big name voice actors big name celebrity let's get kevin spacey and face scan kevin spacey's face except not so much anymore but two years ago that was okay you know like stuff like that 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 put you know let's make the world bigger let's put more stuff in it um you know you can go to that mountain over there i can't imagine what the open world trend has done to game budgets you know, there there are ways to avoid a lot of this, but, like, you know, for your average Call of Duty or Battlefront or Battlefield kind of game, like, do you have the option to cut back on that kind of stuff? I don't think you do, necessarily, and that's that's an interesting point. Like, and, and that's where I think you're going to see some of this conflict that we're seeing with things like Battlefront, where, like, I don't think you can make a game like Battlefront... And sell it for $60 and think it will be profitable with yeah. all of the content and the level of fidelity that you're offering now. Like, I don't think you could do a single-player campaign and, like, however many multiplayer maps it has with a space-fighting mode and all the heroes and paying for the likenesses of all the famous actors and actresses and the high level of graphical fidelity in terms of just all the individual pebbles and rocks. I... I don't see how you can sell that for $60 and sell enough copies to make it a worthwhile investment against how much money you're going to have to spend making and advertising it. Because also, the the ads are everywhere. I'm seeing Battlefront ads all over TV, all over the internet. Yeah, that's what I meant about like marketing budgets. Where like if, you know, if X game boosted its marketing budget up so much and they're getting this much more exposure than Y game, then Y game has to boost its marketing budget to keep up. And I think this is where Nintendo's actually doing an excellent job with, um, and I don't know a lot about Nintendo's sales numbers lately, but I'm sure they're pretty good, Um, but shifting a lot of their focus for some titles going to mobile, right? Where... You know, Animal Crossing yeah. just came out. They have Fire Emblem now, Mario Run. Um, I think that's it, right? That's the three they have. I believe. So. Then, then there's the Amiibo game, or not Amiibo, the whatever the Me game. But yeah. Oh yes, the Meverse thing. Um, so, I'd imagine it costs Nintendo next to nothing to develop these games. They probably have a bunch of the assets already. They just like and and I wouldn't be surprised if it's more profitable than half their regular Switch games right now. Like, you know, I I think they're striking the balance between okay, these are our major titles where we're gonna put, you know, effort and maybe they're rec- maybe they're even recouping on mobile. Yeah, I I think Nintendo's in a unique um, position too since they own two major platforms now. Um, I mean, the 3DS is probably on the way out, but it's not like you're seeing a significant drop in 3DS titles coming out. Um, and it's definitely cheaper to develop for the 3DS than it is to develop like a AAA game for the Xbox One. Uh, and it's almost certainly cheaper to develop a Switch game as well. Uh, so, 
like you know we're kind of seeing that that weird Nintendo strategy of bet everything on the hardware um, paying off, and and now they've also moved into mobile space, which is you know um, definitely more profitable. It seems like at this point. I mean, I think it'd be really cool to see like the Switch become a, a big platform for like indie games and like mid-budget games. That's where it's heading, and it's pretty awesome at the moment. Uh, like old ports of Bethesda games and a bunch of indie titles and EA or uh, Nintendo first-party stuff, and it's pretty fantastic as a platform because of that. Yeah. Um, I, I still don't know if Nintendo's really cracked the code for mobile development, though. Um, I feel like their investors pushed them that way because they wanted to see something on the scale of an Angry Birds or a, I don't know, pick your you know, Candy Crush saga, pick your mobile game of choice. Um, I'm sure these games are making money for them, but, I mean, there was that report that came out that... Um, Nintendo was not happy with the performance of Mario Run, and I know that's kind of a weird case because it's like the one of them that doesn't have microtransactions. Uh, it's it's just a basically a demo, and then you can pay yeah. ten bucks to get the whole thing. Um, but I don't know. It's 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 interesting to see that whether or not they're going to find their footing on uh, mobile stuff and figure out exactly how to make that stuff lucrative for them. But I will say, having played a lot of Animal Crossing uh, Pocket Camp or whatever. Uh, it does definitely reuse assets from the original Animal Crossing games, like, pretty much entirely. So, I cannot imagine the content creation costs of that game being very much at all. Ugh, all this talk about game budgets is making me wobbly. Uh, Campster, you've played Battlefront 2. You want to close us out by telling us about what Battlefront 2 is like in the wasteland that is... What's yeah. left of the progression system? Um, it plays like Battlefront 2 with a couple fixes and a lot of crap. Or it plays like Battlefront 1, rather. Like, they have not fixed the shooting. sound great. Um, so I was thinking about this last night after playing it. I'm, I've been woozy and sick for the past two days. You can still hear it in my voice. I was up to like 2 a.m.-ish playing it uh, on, the, on the PS4. And, and I don't know how to say this without sounding completely nerdy and insane... But, like, having played Dark Forces, Jedi Knight, um, uh, various other non-Jedi Knight-related shooting games involving Star Wars, I get a sense of how I think the guns in that universe work, and none of the guns in this game work like that. And I think this was true in the original as well, but they are not... They're all hitscan, and that bugs the crap out of me, for one thing. Like... Star Wars blasters should not be hitscan guns. This is not Call of Duty. So I don't like the way they feel just, like, right off the bat. Um, you know, looking down iron sights and firing hitscan weapons that have a preset amount of accuracy doesn't feel like every other Star Wars game I've played where you fire a blaster and it goes pew, 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 and you see the little tiny phasers fly out and only vaguely go in the direction you aimed because they're phasers, or, or they're blaster fire, and in Star Wars, blasters are inaccurate crap weapons because Star Wars. Um, that's not the case here. Um, and not only are they, they much more accurate, but also, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other things to complain about. Um, so the blasters feel weird. Also feeling weird is playing as a hero. They never fix that, especially a lightsaber hero. It's basically keep <laughs> hitting the button to do a... 
insta charge like you know how in destiny when you're playing like striker or whatever and you or any of the characters in destiny when you activate your superpower in destiny 2 and you're just really strong and you have a melee it's like that it's like you get to instant home in on people and do a swing strike while flying around and you don't really have any real control over it but it's okay because you have a huge damage reduction and you deal tons of damage that's literally what it is yeah. playing the hero and so there's no skill there's no like there's no, like, strategic use of the hero. It's not like, oh, if I go Boba Fett, I can use my jetpack to fly up there and do a thing. No, there's none of that. It's 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 as shallow as Battlefront 1, um, where there's it's just, you know, you're either playing a very basic first-person shooter, or you're playing a very basic version of you are a powered-up Destiny doing his ult thing. Um, powered-up Destiny Guardian doing his ult thing. And I don't like the way it plays. Um, the one thing they have fixed that I do like is they have gotten rid of vehicle tokens and they've gotten rid of hero tokens. So it's no longer literally walking around going, oh my god, a hero token, I can be the hero now, and taking over the hero. <laughs> it's um, as, you play, as you play the game, you get points for dying, you get points for killing, you get points for damage inflicted, you get points for objectives, and those points go into a pool that you can then invest in saying, I'm going to use all my points and be Chewbacca, or I'm going to use all my points and be Darth Vader or whoever. Um... I can't speak to how particularly balanced that is because I've only done it a couple times because it's actually a fairly sizable number of points to get to like the high-level characters like Darth Vader or whatever. Um, I actually don't have Darth Vader unlocked. We were talking about that earlier. But, you know, like Darth Maul or whoever. There's there's like a six to 8,000 tier and then like a ten to 12,000 tier. And unlocking the ten to 12,000 tier is just too much. I, I'd, I'd have to be better at the game and care more, and I don't. Um, uh, vehicle combat is still really bad. Uh, once again, much like the, I want, I want the first person segments to feel like dark forces. I want the, um, spacey stuff to feel like uh, rogue leader. It doesn't feel like rogue leader. It just feels like an awkward, bad, 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 bad flight simulator. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what you're looking for in terms of criticisms. I've also played the single player, which it's... is awkward. It just sounds like everything that we thought watching that demonstration at E3. Yeah, pretty much. In, like, the much. worst possible way. I mean, it's if, if you liked Battlefront 1 and don't mind all the drama from this recent news, you'll probably enjoy this. Um, I have been playing too many Star Wars games to really dig it. It doesn't play like Star Wars to me. And it just makes me want a, a story being told with this engine and this level of fidelity but there really isn't one. Even in the single player, there's not much of a story. Um, it makes no sense, and it makes me angry. Like, the story, is, the story is one of those things you could, like, hate watch. Well, I've got good news for you. EA recently closed the studio that was making the single player Star Wars game, so... Hey! <sighs> now, I, now I feel like an ass for, for making fun of it, but it, it is pretty profoundly bad. I don't know. I The fact that you can play Luke Skywalker in this game and Luke Skywalker at no point puts down his lightsaber is is a big indicator to me of where this game's intent is and it's just it's frustrating. It's like the prequel mentality skinned with the other Star Wars properties. <laughs> More or less, yeah. I saw a video of someone playing as as Luke, and she killed a whole bunch of stormtroopers. And then Luke's voice line was like, "I never wanted this to happen." Yep, that's in the single player. A little late for that. 
so the single player campaign is weird because it starts it, it it pulls a head fake. You think you're playing as um, Iden Versio, I think her name is, who is an imperial, per, uh, basically special ops person who does bad things for the empire. Um, but then about four levels into the game, it switches up, and then you're playing as Luke Skywalker for a little bit. Wow. It's bizarre. And then you go back to Iden Versio, but it's just, it's like, I don't know, it, it, it wants to do the whole conflicted, interesting hero, um, but it doesn't know how to tell that story in a post, post, what's, what's the phrase for the era in between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens? That era of of the the new Post old republic of the Jedi, yeah. Well, because basically, in in you you by like level two or three, you are on Endor trying to uh, fight the uh, the rebels that took the shield base, and then you see the Death Star blow up in space from where you are, and you're like, oh no, how could this be? And it's your first inkling that maybe something is wrong in the Empire. And it just, it doesn't work because you know the Empire is evil. So these characters going like, what? The Empire? Failing? Incompetent? Evil? No. And it just, I don't know. It's so frustrating to watch that from, from this perspective. Also, I'm just really tired of like taking things that should be kid friendly and fun and turning them all grimdark by making the bad good guys bad. Like, I don't like that we still have a, both in the movies and in Injustice, a Superman that's like a fascist evil leader. And I don't like that here we have the good guys in this game start out as the Empire's evil henchmen. I don't know, it bugs me. Well, that's disappointing. It's all disappointing. Except Orlando. Orlando's got the train. I was a little disappointed. But when you go there on the airplane, you get to ride the tram in to the, to the terminal. You get a ride. What? The airplane... The airplane lands at, at you, uh, MCO. The airplane lands on a freight train, and then you ride <laughs> the freight train into Disney World. No, the, there's the the monorail that you ride from from the terminal to the main hub in the MCO. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. And it has like a little announcement from the mayor of Orlando, and he's like, "Just let so you know, we've got other things in this city besides theme parks, <laughs> even though that's what everyone's here for." <laughs> There are actually permanent residents that don't work at these theme parks. Can you believe that? Isn't it like Bud Dyer or whatever? That sounds right. I, I always... The only reason I remember that... Oh, this is terrible. Never mind. I'm not going to say that on the show. <laughs> That's too dark. I was trying to end this on a happy note. Thank We're you for that happy... enlightening anecdote, Campster. It, was, it, would, it would have gone too dark. We're going somewhere happy. We're going to Disney World. Yeah, fuck Orlando, or fuck Universal Studios. You heard it here, folks. That's our hot take for the day. Don't at us. At me. At you about how Universal sucks? At me about anything, I'm lonely. Oh. Bye, everybody. Bye.